word in tongues, and Barbara had an awesome uh, interpretation, very powerful. And so I felt the impact of the interpretation as, as Barbara was giving it. It certainly lined up with the words that were going on in my mind as I was giving that, that message in tongues. Uh, the impact of it in the spirit was very powerful. So when I get home, I asked Martha, you know, so I said, was there any sense of impact as the tongues was going out? And she said, well, there was a lot of impact from Martha. I said, well, that's not what I asked her. I said, you know, was there any impact? Because I want to know, because I'm on this side of it, you know. And she says, no, not really. And she says, you know, and I often wonder, well, what's even the sense of the tongues? You know, if all the power is in the interpretation. So I just, hmm. Anyways. So ladies' Bible study comes up Wednesday, right? Come on, Denise, come and share what happened. This was the answer to the question. Why even bother with tongues? I guess, I, wow, um, because the Holy Spirit is here. Oh, I'm shorter than Dick. <laughs> How's that? Um, yeah, I had uh, a wonderful, I guess the Holy Spirit is wonderfully scary to me. Um, and I had a wonderful spirit connection. It was so full in this church. It was bursting at the seams. And um, the Holy Spirit was definitely uh, moving. And um, I had a vision um, during the, the um, worship. Oh, and the tongues. And I was actually praying in tongues. I'm like, wow, this is coming out. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it matters, but I'm praying. And uh, he's or she is with me. And all of a sudden, I had a vision, and the vision was the church, the out, out walls of the church, and they were bursting, and there was waves and swells and tsunami coming from the church, and it was just moving out further and further through Laconia and New Hampshire, and stuff was floating on top. It was, it was really strong, and the message to me, um, the word that came to me was that we can't keep it here. We shouldn't keep the Holy Spirit here. He needs to go out. And it's, we need to take the spirit out. We need to unleash the spirit and not keep him here like we want to. So that was my, yeah. So it's good to ask questions, right? It's good to ask questions. Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Okay? Uh, two things right off the top. There is a very distinct Greek flavor to this first question. Apollos, right? Apollos, a Jew named Apollos. It's almost an oxymoron. Right? But he comes from Alexandria, and that's the answer to his name because it was a Hellenistic Jewish hotbed training center. I mean... The first version of the Jewish Bible translated into Greek took place at Alexandria. There was this odd mix of Hellenistic and Jewish culture blended there. Apollos came out of Alexandria, but he came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Alexandria was a learning center, competent in the scripture, so obviously he busied himself in the word of God. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, and this is small s, fervent in his own spirit. There was something going on 
within the man himself that desired to know the things of God. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in a synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus, that the Christ was was Jesus. He's talking to Jews. So the first question is, what is the baptism of John? Luke 3.3 answers that. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. But John also had a secondary message. Luke 3.16 John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water for repentance of sin, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah, fire. (laughs) So we move on to Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. So where was he first? At Ephesus, right? Apollos was at Ephesus. That's where we first meet him. Now he's gone on. He's moved on to Corinth. So Apollos goes over to Corinth. Remember, the church sent him with letters. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So Paul arrives in Ephesus after Apollos has already been there preaching what he knew about Jesus out of the baptism of John. So what was his message? Pray the sinner's prayer. Right? That's it. It's a message of baptism for repentance of sin. That would have been his message. So Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So where did they come from? From Apollos. Now, Now we're tracking, right? This is good little dialogue going here. And he said to them, first question, first question out of Paul's mouth. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Wow. Why hadn't they heard about the Holy Spirit? Because Apollos had not heard about the Holy Spirit. He was baptized with the baptism of John. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism, just like Apollos. Apollos was only doing what he knew to do. You dance the dance you know, right? Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. 
So although Apollos knew about Jesus and could find him and teach about him from the scriptures with both power and accuracy, he was a good teacher, probably a very charismatic individual, right? Apollos was not preaching, he was not preaching, hear me on this, the good news gospel of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. Apollos was preaching repentance from sin, a message he had experienced from John the Baptist. And Paul says and demonstrates that there is more to the gospel than a sinner's prayer or an act of confession through water baptism. There is also God's great demonstration of the gospel's power. 1 Thessalonians 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. There's the full gospel message. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. That's exciting, right? <laughs> it is when you get the rest of the sentence, with joy in the Holy Spirit. You want to get through your stuff? You want to get through your stuff? How many got stuff? Now, come on, come on, all of you with your hands down. That's a lion spirit. Get that hand up. Everybody's got stuff. Come on. <laughs> come out of them, all of you. <laughs> Deliverance class, here we go. <laughs> the only way through is in the joy of the Holy Spirit. We can't make it on it. We proved that with the lives we lived up to the point where we came to Christ. What's your first confession? Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior, right? So what are you saying? I can't do this thing you call life. Do you think once you receive Christ, you can do it on your own? No. You need the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can uh, grunt your way through and be in as much pain and turmoil as you were before and justify it. Oh, well, I got a savior. I got eternal life. I'll go to heaven when I die. Right? Like that makes up for it? I've come that you might have life and life more abundant, right? Does anyone know what the kingdom of God is by scripture reference? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How do you know that you've transitioned into the kingdom? You're living righteousness, you've got peace in your heart, and you're abundant in joy. In the midst of trials. So Paul says to these folks in Thessalonica, we know your, your conversion was real because you had much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom was evident in the way you handled your afflictions. So that you became example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not even say anything more. 
You are evident by the lives you're living. Not only the words you're speaking, but the evidence is in the lives that you're living. So why is this so important? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Excuse my voice. That makes the secondary experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit so essential. Let's start, start with repentance. Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, <coughs> Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it sounds like he's preaching John's gospel, right? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. According to Jesus, repentance is not the coming of the kingdom, but is a necessary preparation for the kingdom breaking in. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, almost here, about to arrive, right around the corner, at hand. The sinner's prayer, the confession of our sinful condition, is not in and of itself. Thank you. the completion of the salvation process. But may I say to you right here and now that when the kingdom is near, when God draws nigh, when the presence is evident, when the wind of the Holy Spirit is arriving on the scene like a mighty rushing wind, and we see ourselves in the light of his glory and holiness, repentance is the way to go. Unloading the burden of our sin and selfishness is the only response. Renouncing self in order to receive Christ is the best and highest response for the human condition. Have you repented yet? Did you repent today? Come on. Make no mistake, the kingdom is coming. God is breaking in on every side, seeking and searching for the thirsty and longing heart so that he can offer you the great abundantly more than you can ever hope or dream or imagine that Christ offers to the weary soul. And it is all far more than what is garnered by what we call the sinner's prayer as a means of repentance. Jesus allows John the Baptist to water baptize him with the baptism of repentance, but then the Holy Spirit descends upon him and drives him, directs him, fills him, until by the time he gets home and goes to his local synagogue to testify, he does not testify about repentance. This is what he says in Luke 4.16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is Jesus' testimony. Anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's 
favor. And saints, you can't do it by just repenting of sin. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Therefore, what he did, you can do. And greater things also is what he promised. Listen to how Jesus explains it to Nicodemus, a Pharisee functioning as part of the temple priesthood, schooled in the scriptures and living his life in service to God. I like Nicodemus. I read about him. I think he's all right. As far as a Pharisee goes, I mean, he's probably the choice pick of the whole bunch. (laughs) There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So what what did John do with the water? He baptized with a baptism of repentance from sin, right? Unless one is born of repentance from sin and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the fire alarm goes off, right, in the building, and you look and you see the exit sign. When you see that exit sign, you say, oh, now I'm safe. What do you got to do? You got to go through that door, right? You've got to enter to the thing that it's signifying. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Listen, repent. Repent so you can begin to see. But once you begin to see, there's got to have something happen that causes you to enter into the thing that's directing your life towards it. Don't just stare at the exit sign and burn to death. Cross over to the other side. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at I said to you, you must be born again. <clears throat> the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Wouldn't you like to live that way? Do you know anyone that does? Yes, you do. The hills. Joel and Lacey Hill. Do you know where they are right now? I have no idea where they are right now. (laughs) The last I heard, they were on a plateau in northern China, heading for the Himalayas. Their home is in Thailand. They are like the wind. Just when you think you know where they've landed, they've already moved on. You see, this is life in the spirit. It's just like the vision that you had. 
These walls got to come down. And it doesn't mean this building has to explode. Your heart has to explode. You're the one that has to outflow. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, Jesus said. Not out of this building, out of your belly. You're the ones that become the wave. You're the ones that become the tsunami. You're the ones that are going to turn this state around. If you don't do it, nobody does it. This building will not do it. You could tear this thing to the ground. It won't change a thing. You'll gather around. We'll rebuild it again. And gather on Sundays. But you live a whole week's worth of life between Sunday to Sunday where you are to be a witness to Jesus Christ. Go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem, starting right here, in your work day, in your shopping day, in your time at coffee with friends. All of those are opportunities to preach the gospel, to show the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I see that you're limping today. Can I pray for you right now? One of the things the Holy Spirit told me to do, and I was at this conference last week, I wondered why I was there, because we do everything that they were questioning why the church doesn't do it. <laughs> we do that. We do that all the time. What are you talking about? I don't see the problem here. So we live there, you know. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I want to show you the foundation that you've laid, because I'm going to expand it. Now, I had my own idea what that might look like, a fatter checkbook. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so what's the first thing he says to me? There's a group that gathers here on Thursday. They come here for food. You have food they know not of. But I meet some of them in Walmart sometime, and they introduce themselves to me Hey, Pastor, it's so good to see you. And I said, oh, do I know you? Nice to meet you. Oh, I go to your church. I said, you do? <laughs> yeah, every Thursday. Every Thursday. You see, for them, Thursday is church. It's the only church they'll go to. So this is what the Holy Spirit said. I want you to start offering them communion. So sometime in the next month or so, we're going to start offering a communion service here once or twice a month and open up part of the sanctuary with an altar and invite those who hunger for more of Jesus to come in and eat at his table. You see, and it's scriptural because he sent out an invitation and those who were invited didn't come. So he said, well, go out into the highways and the byways and invite the beggars and the hungry and the poor and the distressed, and bring them into my feast. God's going to do it, but it's not going to look anything like what we expect. But we must be moved by the Spirit and not our own good ideas. Not to say that the Holy Spirit can't give you good ideas. But... Kiki, how many times were you active this week for Love 146? So that, that was one, that was Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, and then another one, what was the full day one? And then Katrina did another one on Thursday, 
the National Day of Prayer. So since last Saturday, this whole week, there have been three opportunities that this church has taken to introduce to the community at large a very viable response to the sex trafficking of children to a community that's asking the questions, what do we do? And the only thing they need, they understand to do is to have their presenters be victims, to tell you what it's like to be victimized. And it's really quite discouraging. But Love 146 has a message of hope. And by the time the week was over, we've been inundated with calls and opportunities to come and inform other organizations about what we're doing for this most persecuted group of people. I think that's a move of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think it's awesome what God is doing. So Jesus unfolds a two-stage process where an individual is born again, renouncing the reliance on sinful self and self-desire, placing dependence on God as the source of a new life. And there is no doubt at all that a true act of repentance that elicits the cleansing flood of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away our sin and shame, that our eyes are open. Any, any of you have this experience? You've read the Bible in your B.C. life, before Christ's life? And it was like, the heck is this? They did what? Are you kidding me? Right? Then you open it after you receive Christ, and all of a sudden, all of this life is just exploding into your mind, like, whoa! I never saw that! Are you kidding? Whoa! Right? That's how it was for me. I couldn't put the book down. So the act of repentance, praying the sinner's prayer, it gives you eyes to see. All of a sudden, the scriptures become alive. All of a sudden, you start to look at things and you say, oh, man, that applies to me. I didn't know it. Whoa, gee, oh, I better. We begin to see the kingdom in the scriptures, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship, all things begin to appear new, and redemption begins. Redemption begins. But it does not end there. Because one of the dynamics you begin to see when you are born again is the person and purpose of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost. And he who is born of the Spirit enters the kingdom. Doesn't just see it, he enters the kingdom. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he takes his place in your life in the fullness of all of who he is so that all of you have come to see begins to be empowered into action and expression so that out of your innermost being, rivers of living water begin to flow. How many of you can say that since you've been born again, born of the Spirit, you've made a difference in the life of your family? made a difference in the life of friends, made a difference in the life of workmates, right? You're still you, but something's different inside. Something else is showing through. Something else is pouring out. 
You enter the kingdom by the Spirit, and the kingdom begins to emanate out of you as the Holy Spirit, witness of the glory and saving power of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Stated in a different context, yet still applicable to this truth is Paul's statement to the church in Rome, in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue. So then, that being true, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual uplifting. Let us pursue. How? How do you pursue what makes for peace and uplifting? I'm glad you asked that because Paul goes on to explain and answer that very question in Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So where do you get joy and peace? By the Holy Spirit, right? We went over that earlier, right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, here's the thing. That is your ultimate calling. We are a nation of priests. Do you understand that you have a priesthood in Christ? And the first high priest, the first priests were all anointed by Moses. The anointing is a type of the Holy Spirit. In order to work and walk in your priesthood, you must be anointed as the original priest was anointed. Even Jesus was anointed as high priest. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. What did he do? He brought him into actualization of his priesthood. And he is the ultimate high priest even today. He's continually making intercession for you in heavenly places. You are called to be a type of Christ, a type of priest, a royal priesthood. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and what? Deed. By word, seeing, deed, entering. See, it's a twofold unfolding, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around uh, Ilcrinium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, cannot do its full work of transformation, sanctification, and empowerment when only half of the restorative process has been installed. 
Apollos didn't go far enough with the message of repentance from sin. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That is the question today. Have I received the Holy Spirit since I believed? Now I want to take it a step further. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you received the Holy Spirit? Now, that, that isn't a Dickacoin heresy. That's the book of Acts. Because they received the Holy Spirit again, just as they had at the first, is repeated throughout the book of Acts. They didn't just get it on the day of Pentecost. They got it on the day of Pentecost, then a couple of days later, and a few weeks later, they'd pray together, and the whole building would be shaken. They'd all be filled again, as at the first. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Is your testimony in word or in word and deed? Are you demonstrating your life in Christ with your testimony and your actions? That's redemption. How many of you saw that, uh, that film on Jesus, The Passion? You remember he's carrying the cross and he's stumbling, he's laying there and the crowd's going crazy and his mother makes her way to him, finally reaches him and he's a bloody mess and the first thing he says is, I make all things new. I make all things new. It's his job description. He's come to make you new. And the way he does it is through repentance and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, born again by word, born again by deed, born again by an act of repentance and the Holy Spirit coming along and joining him to you in that act and filling you with himself as an act of sanctification. Powerful, powerful work of God. So let me try to dissect the Apostle Paul's explanation of the turn your world upside down good news gospel of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God as he laid it out to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with him. Who's he talking about? Yeah. You go a little broader. He says, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God. So when he says that, it's all inclusive. It's the Trinity. They're all wrapped up in that statement. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. The investment was made by the Father, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The working of the triune God made available to you an opportunity of repentance that could lead to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which was the promise of the Father given by the ascended Jesus to the church as a gift. Right? It took the whole divine dance to envelop you in their purpose. 
Here we meet the very compulsion of the Protestant Reformation, salvation by grace through faith alone. Believe and confess and you shall be saved. Eternal life is the free gift of God. Absolutely. And yet Paul is clear that you can do that in vain. That your salvation can become lifeless. That's what vain means. Lifeless and devoid of power. Empty. Your faith can become empty and God's grace is wasted as a talent buried in the ground. We get to see the kingdom of God by grace as an invitation to enter the kingdom and have the kingdom enter us. We must go for the more that is the precious promise of the Father given by the ascended Jesus as a gift to his bride, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.2, For he says in a favorable time, I listen to you. This is... The Trinity saying this to you. In a favorable time, we inclined our ear to what you had to say. I heard that question. I've got the answer. I see that distress in your heart. I'm the solution. In a favorable time. I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you hear him? Do you hear what he's saying to you? The Father is calling to us. He is listening to us. He knows our needs. He has our answers. He offers his favor, the treasure trove of his so great a salvation, and he offers it to us today, right now. The Holy Spirit is present, active, touching our hearts, healing our woundedness, empowering us with his joy which becomes our strength, and he freely gives to those who will freely receive. For he has said, let the thirsty one come and drink, the hungry one come and eat, and the weary one come and find rest freely, without cost, Isaiah said. Freely because, as Paul states in the next verse, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. There are no hindrances on God's part. He wants to bring us on, take us deeper, and move us into a newness of life. Now Paul goes into this incredible balancing dialogue of life in the great tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We are in the world but not of it pressed on by circumstance and situations, but not dissuaded, where the kingdom breaks in on our lives at just the right moment to show that Jesus has not forsaken us, that the Father has heard our prayers and the Spirit enables us to be more than conquerors. Watch how the Holy Spirit freely flows in and through Paul's life activities. In verse 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions and hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. So how many of you have gone through that in the past year? So the pressure was really on Paul, wasn't it? He goes on to say this. 
verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. What Paul is saying is when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes as purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness, as genuine love into you, so that as you're going through the hardships and the beatings and the imprisonments and the calamities and the hunger and the pressures of life, all of that which has been invested in you by Jesus Christ is what will emerge up. Wouldn't you rather react with the Holy Ghost than react with your emotions sometimes? You know, when you respond with the Holy Ghost, you never have to say, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because it's purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness. It's genuine love. By truthful speech. What is truthful speech? He says, the power of God. The weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. You battling? I'm going to give you two weapons. You hold your hands up. right? Through honor. Grab a hold of honor. And dishonor through slander and praise. Grab a hold of praise. Right? These are the weapons of your warfare. Honor and praise. Don't we sing it all the time? We lift our hands and offer up honor and praise to the Lord. You don't know how often you're doing warfare against an enemy who's going about like a roaring lion seeking to destroy some part of your joy. But when you honor and praise the Lord through the Holy Spirit, the enemy will flee. You have weapons in the left hand and in the right hand. As unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The upside down world of the kingdom of God. We have spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Now, this is a key verse. This, for Paul, is a covenant statement. Our heart is wide open. And Paul, as a Jew, understood covenant. He had lived it all his life. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3.5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee. He understood covenant. Then in an instant on the road to Damascus, an encounter with the ascended king of kings and lord of lords knocks him off of his high horse and into a new and everlasting covenant by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and gives us life in the spirit. And he's a new man. Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus who puts no confidence in the flesh. So here's the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. There's the baptism of repentance, right? And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Uh Uh-oh. 
That's for another day. <laughs> and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will, put, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, here's the line I love. I will put my spirit within you. This is the living God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I will put my spirit in you. Do you know what that is? That is the Garden of Eden, where God bends over and lips to lips, breathes his spirit into you. I will make all things new. And cause you to walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. End of the story. Paul finishes to the Corinthians. You are not restricted by us, Paul states, but you are restricted by your own affections. It isn't God withholding his spirit. We're restricted by our own affections. Think about what you... Nah, I won't go there. In return, I speak as to children. Here's the answer. Widen your heart. Widen your heart. Listen, I know all the time, I've I been dealing with this for years, I, I did the same thing. I begged God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, for six months. Every meeting I was at, I went forward in the altar call, pray for me. I received the Holy Oh, God, please give me the Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit. This evangelist, Pentecostal evangelist came in, and finally, in the middle of all of my begging and crying, kicking and screaming, he said, what are you trying so hard for? Just let him in. And it clicked. It clicked. And man, he came down on me like a jackhammer, drove me to my knees, and I couldn't speak in English for like six hours. Spirit of God just filled me up. I widened my heart. My affections turned away from what I thought I needed to receive him and turned to him instead. And my heart widened, and it came in like a flood. It's the same Holy Spirit today. Let's stand together and pray.